Let me join with Brother Steve in welcoming each of you to our services this morning. For those of you who are visiting with us, we're delighted to have you with us. And uh, many of you are visiting today. We don't want you just to be a visitor. We want you to be a regular. We'd love to have you come and worship with us each and every service in which we gather together. We're studying on Sunday mornings from the book of Colossians. This was a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Central Asia. The letter that he wrote to this church was to remind them of who Jesus Christ was and the great place that he occupied in God's divine scheme of redemption. It is important to realize that as Paul would say in chapter 2 and verse 9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It's hard for us to overestimate the great value of who Jesus is and God's plan to save man. When you study this book, chapters 1 and 2 focus our attention on the fact that Jesus is the Christ. He saved us from our sins. He is the redemption for those sins that we have committed. And then when we get to chapter 3 and 4, there is the focus on how you and I ought to respond to this. By way of introduction this morning, I'd like to begin with a question. Have you ever been challenged by a coach, a teacher, a mentor to take it to a higher level? I thought this past week about various instances in my own life in which I had someone to try to emphasize how important it was to move to a higher level. When I went from junior high to senior high, I mistakenly thought that I was able to play basketball on that level. I can remember Coach Terry Robinson coming in and looking at all of us who wanted to play and say, young men, this is going to be ball on a higher level. If you want to play, you're going to have to put the effort into it. You're going to have to work hard. And you're going to have to try to do the very best that you possibly can do. I thought back also to late August, early September 1979 when I began graduate work and studying under Brother Thomas Warren. Walking in his class, being very intimidated to start with, Brother Warren said, Young men, this is going to be study on a much different level than what you have been accustomed to. This is not college work. This is graduate school. And you're going to have to study a lot harder. You're going to have to read a lot more. You're going to have to put a lot more effort into it if you're going to be successful. The truth is there's a number of different areas in each of our lives where someone has tried to get us to move to a higher level. It's going to involve several things to do so. Number one, it's going to take the mind. I'm going to have to commit myself to learn more, to grasp more, to understand more. It's going to take the will, the determination, the intention in my life that I am going to not just be content with who I am, but I'm going to be better than I have been. I am going to live a higher calling in life. And it's going to take an attitude. An attitude that says, I can do it. I will do it. You can say, what does all that have to do 
We're studying Colossians chapter 3. Paul challenged the Colossians to step up and get away from the fleshly mind and live on a higher level. Live on a spiritual level. To seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21 he says, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. You used to be a part of those who just lived like the rest of the world, but that's not who you are now. In chapter 2 and verse 18 he says, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. You see, the problem is, as I end the study of chapter 2, reading along with Paul, I see him saying, there are people who are still thinking on a fleshly basis. They're letting the world and their own physical desires guide them. And what he is saying is, I want you to rise to a higher level. If I could communicate this morning to this congregation the message of Colossians 3, 1 through 4, it is that you and I should be searching for, striving for, higher ground, living on a higher level. We're going to look at three things in this context. Number one, verse one, we're going to look at status, who we are, where we are. Number two, we are going to look at seek and set, two words, two key words in verses one and two. And then finally, we're going to look at security in verses four and five. Let's go back now to chapter three, verse one. Let's look at that text carefully. If then you were raised with Christ, seek the things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. You are raised with Christ. You see, when Jesus ascended from this earth, he traveled back to the heavenly places. He has been raised to a higher level. You know, when I study the book of Colossians, I really find out this has a more clear reference to baptism. If you go back to chapter 2 and verse 12, he says, Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. That term, raised, carries with it the idea of lifting up. But it's only when I go to the Roman letter that I fully grasp what Paul is trying to say here. He says, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You see, he died, he was buried in that tomb, and he'd come forth, he was raised up. We die to our sins, we are buried with him in baptism, and we are raised to walk in newness of life. He goes on to say, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, 
certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. We don't continue to walk as we have walked. It is a raising that takes place when we are baptized. Now, that means we have a change of status. We're no longer worldly people. We are godly people. In chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul explains it to the Colossians like this. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. If you're reading the original King James or American Standard, you'll notice the word conveyed is translated, translated. The original word means to go from one place to another, just like we are conveyed from one airport to another airport, from one city to another city, or one position to another position. We are no longer a part of the devil's kingdom. We're no longer a part of the world. We're no longer in darkness. We are now children of God. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Now listen carefully to verse 2. Beloved, now we are the children of God. We are the children of God. We have a change in status. You imagine here is a person who is living in our country, but who is not a citizen. They're not an American, so to speak. And then they go through the process of becoming a naturalized citizen. And now they can say, I am an American. And I enjoy all the privileges of that status. You and I who are Christians can say, I am no longer a member of this world and the devil's kingdom. I now enjoy the status of being a child of God. He said, where Christ is, Christ is in the heavenly places. When Stephen had preached that powerful lesson of Acts chapter 7, he ended by being stoned. And just prior to his dying, Luke records his words by saying, But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He's looking up into heaven. And what does he see? He sees Jesus standing next to God. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 22. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Jesus is there in the heavens. Folks, that's where our citizenship is at. That's where our status is at. Now, 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we endure, we shall reign with Him. You see, if, if I keep my status, if I keep what I am doing, then I can enjoy eternity with Him. 
Now, what does status have to do with rising to a higher level? In Ephesians 5 and verse 8, Paul would put it like this. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Sometimes when we read our Bibles, we come away with the idea that this is doctrine, this is doctrine, this is doctrine. And we don't ever look at the fact that this is to have some sort of a real application in the way we live. But that means when I go to work on Monday, or when I go out with my friends on the weekends, that means I don't live like the rest of the world. I am now a children of light. I live by a higher standard. I walk on a higher level. It's just like the child of a king should reflect the dignity of his status. You know, you shouldn't act like you're a commoner if you're not a commoner. In Revelation 3.21, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit down with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus is saying, you overcome your status as you're the child of a king and you're going to sit on thrones and reign with him. Simple knowledge of who we are and where we are should serve to inspire us to lead a higher level of life. Now, let's look at the latter part of verse 1 and the first part of verse 2 and look at those words, to seek and to set. If then you were raised with Christ, seek the things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not on the things on the earth. Notice those two phrases. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above. There is a battle going on for our minds. You may not understand that. You may not appreciate it. When I go to the book of Romans, Paul is going to explore that in his own life. You go to chapter 7 and notice with me verse 23. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Paul was describing his state as having a war going on in his mind. Let me ask you individually, have you ever had a war going on in your mind that was saying, I know what I am supposed to do. I know what is right. I know this is over here what I would like to do, and I have a war going on. Do I not do something I ought not do or do something I ought to do, or do I do what I may want to do? Does that war exist in your mind? I dare say every one of us it does. In chapter 8, in verses 5 through 7, Paul go on to say, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally, the word carnal means fleshly, to be fleshly minded is death. 
But to be carnally minded is life and or spiritually minded is life and peace. For the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. It is a desire to do what the flesh says or what the spirit says. There is that battle for the mind. Now let me illustrate this to you. How it can take place, both of them, in one person at almost one period of time in our lives. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus had arrived into the area of Caesarea Philippi. When he arrived there, his disciples were with them. And the Lord asked them, who do men say that I am? They began to repeat to Jesus what some of the people were saying. That he was John the Baptist. That he was Elijah. That he was one of the prophets. Jesus then focuses the question more pointedly toward each of them by saying, But who do you say that I am? And Peter responded by saying, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right after that, the Lord's praise for Peter is remarkable. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Wow. Can you imagine Peter basking in the glory of the Lord has just patted me on the back for what I know and what I have said. Right after that, the Lord began to show them that he had to go to Jerusalem to suffer many things at the hand of the chief priests and the scribes and the third day be killed. Peter's response to the Lord was, Not so, Lord. This will never happen to you. And you go to Matthew 16 and verse 23, But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. One minute Peter is saying, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's doing so because he's let revelation speak to him. Then Peter turns and said, no, Lord, you can't die on the cross. And Jesus said to him, you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Does that describe you and myself? As we look at life and we are battling back and forth, do I set my thoughts on worldly things or spiritual things? In Psalms 10 and verse 4, The wicked in the pride of his countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. When you and I quit thinking about God and about God's will, that's when we start making our mistakes. So what he does, he tells us to have a heavenly focus. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your mind on the things that are above. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I've got to look and see how Jesus did it. See where he ends. See where his focus was. 
Matthew 22, verse 37. Love God with all your heart, soul, and your minds. Philippians 4 and verse 8. What kind of things do I dwell upon? What kind of things do I think about? He said, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is any praise, meditate, or the American Standard, think on these things. How important it is to keep our focus on spiritual things. But you see, this requires a choice on my part. I have to focus my mind on the spiritual things by a willing choice. Because if I don't choose what I'll do, I'll just go along like everybody else does. Matthew 6, verses 32 and 33. Jesus began a, a lesson in the Sermon on the Mount all the way back in verse 25. And he says, Not to be anxious of what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll put on. And he says, when you start looking at all these facets of life, most of us find ourselves being overly concerned about them. Do you worry about bills? Do you worry about paying for your light bill? Do you worry about buying your food? Do you worry about having enough money to do the things you need to do? I think most of us do to some degree. But you come down to verse 32 and Jesus said, For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows you have need of all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. You see, a lot of it has to do with what you're seeking. Either I'm seeking the things that are worldly, fleshly, or I am seeking the spiritual things. Acts 16, verses 26 and 27. Paul was on Mars Hill and he was conversing with them about God and what God has done for man. He says, He has made from one blood of every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and having determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings that they should... Seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him. Notice this last phrase, though he's not far from each one of us. It's not that hard for us to take our focus from worldly things and then set our minds on the things that are above. Romans 8 and verse 5 again, I remind you, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, if you will, take with me verses 3 and 4 of this context. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. One's death to self and life to God is a key. Do you remember what Jesus taught? If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, 
take up his cross and follow after me? Jesus talks about death. In Matthew 16 and verse 25, Jesus is exploring people who are looking at life and saying, well, you know, if I, if I work hard, I can save my life. But if I give it to the Lord, I lose it. And he says, no, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, that's a, really a, a challenge to think on a different level. If I think on purely a physical level, I'm going to be self-motivated. Everything's about me. If I am spiritually minded, I'm thinking about God. Think about what God wants me to do. And he says that's when you really find your life. Galatians 2.20 Paul described his conversion by saying, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, our future is secure when Jesus appears. You know the Lord is coming again. And when he does, we either will stand with him or against him. Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21, when Paul wrote them, just about the same time that he wrote the Colossians, he said, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. You see, when we look forward to the Lord's coming again, there's a lot great amount of security in that confidence in that. In 1 John 2 and verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed of him at his coming. You know, one of the greatest things of being a Christian is the status that we enjoy. And then because we enjoy that, we seek and we set our minds on the things that are above. And once we do, then we begin to appreciate the security we enjoy because when Jesus comes again, we get to stand with him and be a part of all that great joy. Too many people are content to remain worldly focused when they have a higher calling you know, as I began the lesson, I asked, did you ever have a, a coach, a teacher, a mentor encourage you to try to step it up to the next level? To try to be ready, to try to be prepared to do what is great? That's what Paul is calling upon the Colossians to do. Step it up. Make sure you're pursuing a higher level. Let us rise to the challenge of faith. And let us focus on our future reward. If you'll take out your songbooks to that song, Just As I Am, I'm sure most of you probably know this song by heart. 
I would like to be able to say something that would move you and motivate you to make a change in your life if you need to do so. It's very possible this morning that we have people in this audience who are not Christians. Something you ponder on. I know before I became a Christian, I thought about it a lot. And I think there are probably those of you who are sitting here this morning thinking, it's time for me to take the step to pursue a higher level of life. What greater privilege could you enjoy this morning than to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins? Everything is ready for you. Preparations have been made. All you need to do is come forward and say, I want to respond by becoming a New Testament Christian. It's also very possible that those of us who are here this morning, that some of us have allowed the world, the fleshly mind, to draw us back. Folks, the reality is is that we're lost as long as we're without Christ. You can come this morning. We'll pray with you. That's the Bible teaches us to do. And God will assuredly, as His Word says, forgive you. If you need to respond, would you come as we stand and sing?